Our New Testament reading this morning comes from Matthew 5 once again, part of the sermon, what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and we're reading verses 13 through 20 this morning. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. It was interesting doing research for this, path, for this sermon today and how various sermon writers interpreted being the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And many of them, I was very disappointed to discover, had a political view that took precedence over their faithfulness to God's word. And they believed that if they were faithful to their political agenda, they were being the salt of the world, the salt of the earth, and the light to the world. Well, they were lighting up something, but it's not showing people the kingdom of God. And it is so tempting for us to do that. I was thinking after reading those things that if you, if you watch the news, and many of you were sort of um, captivated by it for the last couple weeks, how many hours of politics do you hear? If you listen to those radio stations, how many hours of politics do you hear? And I get a half an hour to share with you the word of God. Now, I'm sure some of you listen to other preachers on the radio and podcasts and, and you have your own Bible study, but it, it's, it's concerning to me how how compelling the political landscape seems to be to so many people. And the reason that's disturbing to me for Christians is that those ideas can take priority over our commitment to the kingdom of God. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he is saying, you bring the flavor of the kingdom of God to the earth. When he says, you are the light of the world, he, says, he is saying, I was called the light of the world because I bring understanding of the kingdom of God into the world as no one has ever done before. But now I'm telling you, because I have been here, you are the ones to bring the light of the kingdom of God into the world. The light of the kingdom of God. This is a very important task for us. I grew up in a church that, and, well, a couple churches, as was the practice in my hometown. You stayed 
at a church for a while, and then you got mad and went to the next church. Um, and then you got mad and went to the next church. And it was a small town, so there were only so many churches. And sooner or later, you had to come back to the first one uh, because everyone else was wrong. But anyway, that's beside the point. But all the churches I grew up in, it seemed to one degree or another, were very much afraid of the social elements of the gospel. I remember hearing Micah 6.8, the passage we looked at last week. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. And I thought, that's good, the walk humbly with your God part, but those other two things, that might lead us into this other way of thinking that I was taught was wrong in the churches I grew up in. We were with friends last week, and um, he said, I've always been afraid of that social part of the gospel. But folks, we can't be. It's in the book. Isaiah says, your prayers and your fasting, all of this stuff that you do trying to earn my favor, it is useless, I'm sorry to tell you. It, well, he's not sorry because he's angry. God, it says in this passage, God is angry because the people don't understand that there is more to the gospel, more to, well, more to knowing God than just fasting and praying and getting what you want. Think how you would feel, and some of you parents do feel this way, if you were treated like a giant vending machine, that whatever someone wanted, they would ask you for it, and your job, your sole purpose is to give them what they asked for. Now, they might feed a coin in periodically. I think the people in Isaiah's day were feeding, trying to feed into this vending machine they called God what they thought he wanted, but what they were feeding in was counterfeit. It wasn't real. And God, therefore, felt no need to respond the way they hoped that God would. It was counterfeit because it was selfish. They sought God for their own purposes. They sought God for what God would do for them. And they said, as we read in the, in the reading, we fasted. Why aren't you listening to us? We're doing what we think you want. Why aren't we getting what we want? And God says, the problem is that you fast, but your fasting doesn't draw you closer to me. It makes you grumpy. It makes you rude. And you start grumbling against each other. It makes you selfish. So you start withholding what is due your workers. And God says, this is not the way my kingdom works. Now, I think back in my, in my earlier years, which are getting longer and longer ago, there was just cause to be a little concerned about the social elements of the gospel, not because of what scripture says, not because we are called to those things, but because there are some who take those elements and make that the whole gospel. So what happens is, and I saw this in a number of the uh, commentaries I read this week, what happens is people take their political agenda and because it has a social component to it, they say this is what 
God wants from me, failing to read the whole counsel of Scripture and discover what God truly wants. So there is a group or a, a, a school of thought and action that is all about social agendas, and they, they claim Christ in doing these social things, but what they're doing is against what the Bible teaches. So the church, churches I grew up in were, were nervous about this. And the problem is those folks get too far away from the real truth of the gospel. But the churches I grew up in said, we're biblical. And I got to the point when I realized, no, you're not. Because scripture tells us to reach out to the poor, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to take care of the people around us, to welcome the stranger, to free the captive. All of these things are throughout the whole book. So we can't be either or on this. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, being ambassadors of the kingdom of God, demands that we have both that we tell people about personal salvation in Jesus Christ, that we tell people, encourage people to be holy, to act in ways that honor God in our personal lives. But we also have to help people understand that the gospel, the word of God, the kingdom of God responsibilities include reaching out in social ways to help and bless people, to encourage them, to clothe them, to feed them, to free them, to welcome them. And it is only when we bring these two understandings of the gospel together that we can be truly faithful to what God calls us to be, to who God calls us to be, that we can truly be salt and light. Now, once again, we have a problem in our understanding. We had it last week when we looked at the blessings, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And what we do, what we, how we hear that is to say, oh, I better be merciful so I can be blessed. Oh, I better um, hunger and thirst for righteousness so I can be blessed. And that is, not what, that is not what Matthew 5, the early verses, is saying at all. It is saying, you are blessed. Those of you who think you're not because you're weak, those of you who think you're not because you know that you're not righteous enough, those of you who think you're not blessed because your spirit feels poor, you are blessed. You're already blessed because of the grace of God. And here we read, you are the light of the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we say, oh, I better become more salty. I better become more bright. No, folks. You are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Because you are in Jesus Christ, you are agents of the kingdom of God. You are called to faithfulness by nature not of what you're trying to achieve, but because of who you are. If we truly are those who are redeemed by Jesus Christ, we are already salt and light. Jesus says a city on a hill cannot be hidden. The city's already there. 
It can't hide itself. And that, I think what he was saying to us was, be careful. If anyone knows you're a Christian, they're watching you. You can't pretend to be a Christian at one place and then pretend not to be at another place. Being called into the family of God, being a citizen of the kingdom of God is a whole life thing. These same friends we were having uh, lunch with last week, uh, one of the, the husband is a professor and he's also working on a class for their church on being Christian in the workplace. Because he's found that many people are good Christians on Sunday mornings when they're gathered together with their brothers and sisters in Christ, but they go to work on Monday and there's not much left of their Christian witness. There's not much left of their Christian conviction even because it's not easy. It's not easy to carry this through your whole life, every aspect of your life, but it's vital because it is who you are. In Isaiah, um, the the counsel against the people is that they're good when they're in their worship time, they're fasting, they're doing the good holy things, but they leave that. And they bicker. They leave that. And they fight. They leave that and they fail to care for their own employees, their own workers. God says, this is not right. You are called to be good, (laughs) to be examples of the kingdom of God. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, there's one One thing that's implied there that many of us don't seem to get or we don't seem to live out. Salt in the box doesn't do a thing for the food. Go to a restaurant, you order something, it is as bland as anything, and you say, is there any salt in the kitchen? They say, yeah, it's in the box. And you realize they don't really know how to cook very well. By the way, this, in my reading I discovered that this, ours is the first generation, the first people, the first time in history that we've been afraid of salt. Because we've discovered that if you have high blood pressure, salt is bad, it, it might increase it. It's, we have some reason to not over-salt. But when you read this passage, try not to think that way. (laughs) Because what what Jesus is saying is, you are the salt of the earth, salt is valued. Did you know, and I learned something this week, if, what is a, a salt plant called? Or a place where you take the salt out of salt water, desalinization. Sal. What word that we sort of really like starts with sal? Salvation. That's a good one. 
<laughs> we should like that one more than the one I'm thinking of. <laughs> but some of us don't. Salary. Did you know that, this is serious. You can keep laughing, but it's still serious. The word salary comes from the word salt. Because the Roman soldiers were given tokens for salt as their salary. Because salt was so highly valued. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he is saying, you are really valuable. When he says, you are the light of the world, he's saying, you are really valuable. Because what he's saying is, you are called to be me. You are called to light the world as I have been called to light the world. So this job that we have to do, this seasoning, this lighting of the world is very valuable. It's vitally valuable. For we are called to help people who live in darkness understand the light of the kingdom of God. And we do that two ways at the same time. We do that through telling people about salvation in Jesus Christ, about what Jesus Christ, as the songs that we sang proclaimed about how Jesus Christ gave himself for us, how Jesus Christ died so that we can live forever. But the other part of this is we don't just say it, we do it. The kingdom of God is where everything will be made right. Justice will roll down like waters. Everything. There will be no more need left. There will be no more pain left. There will be no one who feels imprisoned. And I'm not just talking prison walls that are physical. I'm talking imprisoned by doubt or fear or depression. All of that will be gone. And we as those who represent the kingdom of God to the world are called to live in a way that shows people the hope that that brings, that shows people how wondrous it is that our hope is in this kingdom of God, this reign of God that is coming. And if we're not demonstrating what that kingdom of God looks like now, we're not doing justice to God's word revealed to us. We're not doing justice to the salvation that has been given to us. Because salvation is personal, but it is not private. Salvation is personal in that it opens to us a relationship with God, but then it also opens to us the mission of God to share this good news with the world around us, to demonstrate the kingdom of God's values with the world around us. Philippians 3.20 says this, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us put our hope and our faith in that salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ, and then live as the salt and the light that we are because of him. The wonderful thing 
about the Christian faith that is different from every other religion is that while the Christian faith tells us what to do and what not to do, while the Christian faith, like all other religions, says that there is good and there is bad and we should choose good, only the Christian faith promises us the Holy Spirit to strengthen us to do what we're called to do. Only in Christ are we already saved. Are we already citizens of the kingdom? It is not something we work for. It is not something we earn. It is something we are given because of his grace. And as we seek to live out our calling to be agents of that kingdom, Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit accompanies us. The Holy Spirit strengthens us. And this table reminds us of that in a very, very deep way. Because at this table, we take in the body of Christ, strengthening us to be the body of Christ in the world. At this table, we take in the blood of Christ that to allow it to course through our veins new life. And this is all by the power of the Holy Spirit. We as reformed believers believe that this is not the actual physical body of Christ, the actual physical blood of Christ, but by the Holy Spirit, it becomes like that for us because it strengthens us, it nourishes us to be who we're called to be. So all who are in Christ are welcome to this table.